0: Well, we are ending our series this morning on temptation and dealing with habits. If you want to get a head start, you can go to Ephesians chapter 6. Now, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, if you are living for God, in fact, if you even have Jesus as your Savior, you have a battle on your hands. The day that you took Jesus, you also took everyone of his enemies. It is a battle with no holds barred. It is a battle between light and darkness, between death and life, between heaven and hell. And If you imagine that the battle gets easier as you mature in the Lord or as time goes on, we're only kidding ourselves, it intensifies. The devil has great wrath knowing that he has but a short time. Every Christian, whether you like it or not, is called to be a warrior. That's why God has all these Old Testament stories about battles. I mean, it just seems like they're just dozens and dozens of stories about fighting. Why? Because really our life is all about fighting. People say, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Well, even lovers fight for that which they love. And so we got to learn how to fight. Last Thursday was a reprehensible day in the state of California as our elected senators passed Assembly Bill 2943. This is a proposed California law which outlies speech that deals with moral issues. If a pastor, if uh, an author, if someone encourages people to deny their homosexuality, to do what the Bible says, they can suffer a fine and other things. Now it has to go to the assembly still, and then it has to go to the governor's desk for veto or for approval. But here's specifically what it says it says it's unlawful for any person to sell books, do counseling services, or anything else that helps someone overcome unwanted same sex attraction or gender identity confusion. Now, here's what that means interpreted. It would be a violation then if a pastor were to stand in the pulpit and ask someone to go to visit the bookstore and purchase a book that would help people address their sexual issues. And folks, this is only a matter of time before this extends to people who are just not also in the clergy, but people who are parents and others. It also means that if I would encourage someone to go and buy a Bible, because the Bible speaks specifically against those kinds of sins. This bill put out by some Democratic nutcase uh, here in California is just, uh, you can see exactly where this is going. Folks, this is ultimately trying to silence the Word of God and the pulpits from free speech and from biblical speech. Now, folks, this is a war zone. Now, um, and for those of you that are politically minded, I can tell you that uh, we're, we're definitely in a pickle here in San Joaquin County because our assemblyman is an avowed, open, militant lesbian, Susan Eggman. And so pray, friends. But as we go through this, I believe this is a great uh, way, a great, great launching pad for this final message. Just to remind us again, folks, that this is not a game. Where we're headed in our country, where we're headed in this world is into a great Bible battle zone. Let's all bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning. We ask you that you would give us wisdom You'd give us clarity. Oh, God, thank you that the, va- the battle may be lost here or there, but the war has already been won. Thank you. And I pray that God today you remind us of what we can do to make a difference. And Lord, protect us as we go through this life. In Christ's name, amen. All right, the book of Ephesians. Pastor Timothy was there in Ephesus, in Turkey, what would be Turkey today, and he was had his hands full. He was a young preacher, and he had uh, had a problem, maybe even losing his his boldness. Uh, you remember Paul said to him to not fear and to don't be ashamed of my testimony. I'm your mentor. Don't lose what we've gotten. And so the book of Ephesians tells us about how to live both doctrinally and then the second half, how to live practically. And here in chapter 6, it is reminding us that we have the power to have victory over Satan. And so let's look first of all at the battle, what I call our suspense, the tension and the strain in the Christian life. It is a battlefield. Years ago, and I was just starting in the Uh, As a young pastor, Kenny Bishop sang an old song called, It is the Battlefield, Brother. Here's the chorus, run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. If I fall down, I'm going to get right up because I didn't start out to play. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. So run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. All right, let's look at verse 11 and 12, please put on the whole armor of God. Okay. So let's just stop right there. Let's make sure now that we put on the whole armor of God. None of us would want to go out uh, half dressed, although some do, but we want to put on the whole armor of God. Every piece is important that you may be able. Say the words, I am able. Say that with me. I am able I am able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The Bible didn't say, well, you know, you're going to fall and everybody falls because they're human. No, God said, we are able. We are able with the armor of God. Verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And I want you to notice, we are not fighting a solitary force against principalities, Against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Folks, this is a huge group of wicked, evil power that is against it is Satan's army. It's those people sometimes who have been saved out of Satanism and who perhaps have been privy to the upper echelon of satanic leadership. Can tell us and I've heard some of their testimonies saying I wouldn't even tell you, I couldn't even begin to tell you the rankings and the order and the things that are going on. And a lot of times we just get up every morning and head off to work or have our little playtime and we don't even think about the fact that it is a war and they are it is a strategic warfare and they have all these different groups. Notice first of all that Satan is subtle. Verse 11, stand against the wiles of the devil. When it comes to temptation, none of us are going to ever outmaneuver or slick the devil. You can't slick Mr. Slimy. You can't do it. People think they're going to take a pill and fight the devil, or they're going to you know, just do this or that. No, you've got to fight him with the weapons that God gave. I once heard a leader of a boy's home say, a Christian boy's home say, you know what, We can't even think of rules fast enough because every time we think of a rule, they come up with something else that you never would have thought of that we couldn't even remember to say, don't do this because who would think of it? I read recently in one of the public schools, they had to outlaw using a certain kind of soap in the bathroom because some of the teenagers were going in there and during uh, time they would go to the bath and they would take this particular soap and they would sniff it and get high. Well, who would ever think of, you have to make a rule, you know, don't sniff the soap in the high school bathroom. But You got to, I mean, it's a we, you cannot outthink the devil because every time you thought you've heard of something more wicked than the last week, something more wicked comes out. He is subtle. He is also spiritual. Notice it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Have you ever thought of the fact that the devil is actually spiritual? He is. We live in a day where we must learn that everything spiritual is not righteous. All the time I hear people say, Oh, I'm not into corporate church. A man told me that this week. I'm not into corporate church, but I am spiritual. (laughs) I always say, that sounds kind of spooky to me. You know, and it seems like they always say it like they're in Twilight Zone. I am spiritual. I'm like, okay, (laughs) do your spiritual stuff over there. How about getting biblical instead of spiritual? That might work. And then he is strong. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. A prince over a pality. There appears to be in Scripture demonic uh, senses, um, maybe character Qualities (laughs) qualities <laughs> over certain municipalities and sometimes you can sense it you'll go into a certain city and you'll just say man this is just a this is just a wicked feeling and you might feel a you know like a immoral feeling or you might just feel like a you know a fearful feeling i think there are princes over palaties they have certain uh, things that they do there are powers principalities and powers it didn't say you know, no, the devils doesn't mean anything. No, it says they're princes. That's powerful. They're powerful. Then it says rulers of darkness, not just dark, but rulers. And yet with all of this spiritual battle we face, there is no reason to be afraid. Notice that verse, it says, we wrestle not. Now we might think, oh, wrestling, you know, we think of maybe wrestling with the kids, you know, and having fun or no, or even maybe uh, you, know, you were a wrestler in high school or you've seen Olympic wrestling. We're not talking about someone with a referee and making sure that everything is fair. No, we're talking about our wrestling to the death. In the Roman times, wrestling wasn't just wrestling. It oftentimes ended in death because the ultimate way to win the match was to take your hands, make both of your hands, to take the person and to strangle them and to push them down to the ground, push their head down to the ground until you finally just suffocated the air at them. That was the ultimate wrestling move. That's the word that is used here. The Apostle Paul was using that figure. In their mind, when they heard that word, immediately their mind went to the wrestling matches where someone would die. And he would say, folks, we're in a wrestling match of life and death, and the devil's got his hands around our throat. He's trying to kill each one of us. When you leave your house in the morning, He is going to do everything he can to kill your wife. When your husband goes off to work in the day, he's going to do everything he can to strangle the spirituality right out of him. He is strangling our grandchildren. He is strangling our children. I remind us, folks, it is a tremendous tension that we live with every day. It is a suspense. But thank God there is a defense as well. Reading in verse 13, in fact, let's all read it together, if you would, please, from verse 13 to verse 17. Let's read it out loud, if you would, please. I wanted to get it in your mind so we can quickly go through it, because really the the heart of the message is our offense. Let's go to verse 13. Ready? Begin. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. First of all, notice our (coughs) defense is the belt of truth. God just didn't leave us defenseless in this world. I've already described, hopefully. You got in your mind how serious a battle we're facing, but the fact is we have a belt to be able to wrap everything around us. It's called the belt of truth. Warriors in those days, even like today, often have a a belt that they would gather around them like a police belt, sort of. And Off of that very thick um, leather belt that they have here today and back then, they would hang their different instruments of uh, warfare. And the Bible reminds us that they would do everything they could to, to bring in all the loose things. I mean, you know, their tunic or their, everything they were wearing to make sure that they draw it in. When I was in college age time and then a little bit later, I remember watching football, especially college football. They used to have these things called breakaway jerseys. And uh, that guy would be running down the field, and if some guy tried to tackle him and he didn't get a good grip on him, he'd just maybe grab his. Uh, Jersey. So they figured out they'd just have a ripaway jersey. And oftentimes the running backs and others would just, the rest of the game, they'd run around with just their shoulder pads on practically. Because they would, and that's exactly what they would do back then. If, If they were in a fight, they could grab somebody's clothing and they could throw them down. But if that belt had tightened it all around, they weren't able to just grab anything like that. And frankly, folks, most Christians never even get their belt on. The truth is we just sort of flop through life. There was an old song called, The Answer, My Friend, is Blowing in the Wind. Well, I tell you this morning, the answer is not blowing in the wind because when our clothing is just blowing in the wind, it catches on every sharp edge of every vice or habit or self-destructive thing that we might do. How important is the belt of truth? The thing that keeps us going every day is not how I feel, but it is what we know. Maybe we should ask somebody in the morning, not how you feel, but what do you know? (laughs) What do you know today? Not how do you feel, but what do you know? I know that I am saved. I know that I have victory today. What I know is what gives me victory, not how I feel. And that's why we need to saturate our soul with the book of books. Satan moves in and he takes over when we don't know the truth, the truth. And the wonderful thing about God is God constructed our mind in such a way that nobody can think of the two things exactly at the same time. Now, we can have a lot of things on our plate for sure, but actually at the moment we're thinking, we can only think of one thing at a time. And that's why thinking of truth means you won't think of error. And that's why God said, always have it on your lips and always have it in your mind. Go to bed with it. Think about it. Folks, every person ought to go to sleep with a verse on their mind. We ought to wake up in the morning and get a verse for that day. That's the belt of truth. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness, just a, another way, a kind of a fancy way, but, or maybe a poetical way of saying just a right relationship with God. We got to protect our heart. If we don't protect our heart, we're gone. I mean, once that heart gets attacked by in a war, I mean, that person's going to die very shortly. People today think they have a psychological problem, others think they have a relational problem, some think they have a chemical imbalance. The fact is, some of those things might be true. But the bottom line, it's actually personal holiness that is the issue. And today, pretty much the church has ignored personal holiness. We have substituted every kind of a program, every kind of a counseling for just telling people, you know what, you need just to get right with God. You know, I remember hearing one uh, well known pastor say, my counseling is basically this get right with God. <laughs> That's basically my counseling. You know, I, now there's obviously times when people just do need some encouragement or need some direction or just need some wisdom. But the fact is, most of our issues come down to a heart issue. Folks, if we got problems in our marriage, I don't know that just reading another book is especially gonna help. We need to make sure that we look at the heart. It is a holy life that's often the issue. You know, if you have a flat tire, you've got to fix that tire. You can't just try to run with a flat tire. And in a marriage, if a heart is not holy, that's a flat tire. You can't go out and look at your car and say, Boy, I got a great car. Let's go fast. You gotta fix the flat tire and in our heart, that flat tire is when we don't have a heart that's that's right with God. That's why every day I need to make sure that I have no unrepented sin in my life. I can't live with sin that's just a a double mind. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so for sure, I want to make sure that every day I confess to God and say, Lord, nothing between my soul and my Savior. I want to make sure I have a breastplate of righteousness, and then the shoes of peace. Having your feet shod with the preparation. Stay prepared. It says prepared. You never know when you're going to need your galoshes. Stay prepared. You never know where you're going to find a good sale, huh? Right, ladies. Make sure you got your walking shoes, and you're out in your car there because we got to go. What kind of shoes? Peace. Peace with God. Are you saved? Do you have peace with God? Peace of God. Not only the peace with God, the peace of God. That's making sure that you have God's peace. And that's a good place to be in. Sometimes people say, I'm in a good place right now. I talked with a guy a couple weeks ago. I hadn't seen him for a few months. And and the last time I saw him, he was pretty rough shape. And uh, he seemed to have a bright spirit. And I talked to him for a few minutes and he offered. I didn't even ask. He just said, you know, pastor, he said, I'm such a good place right now. He said, I just feel so peaceful. He said, nothing really has changed. He said, I just feel better. I said, man, I'm so glad to hear that. And uh, you know, that is a great thing that maybe circumstances haven't changed, but I've changed. I have the peace of God, having peace with God, knowing that I'm born again, but having the peace of God, just being in a good place. Gospel shoes can walk through anything. When I feel at peace, and like this fellow said, he said, I just am in a good place. Nothing's changed, but I just feel better gospel shoes, the the shoes of peace, knowing I'm saved and having the peace of God, resting in the Lord, that's what I need, and the shield of faith, the shield of faith. Now, there were different kinds of shields used in that day. And actually, several places in Scripture, it used the different words, the different Greek words. Now, the first type that most often was used was a small uh, disc shape like a big old giant Frisbee or something if it was a right-handed man, and typically they would wear it on their left arm, it oftentimes had two straps inside of it. They'd slip their arm inside. It was, a, oh, maybe two to three feet, and they would hold it in this hand, and they would take their sword in this hand. This was when they would do a battle, uh, hand-to-hand combat. That's not the Greek word used in this phrase. The Greek word used in this phrase is actually a word for a shield that is a large uh, Shield you stayed behind, maybe two and a half feet wide, four and a half, five feet long, and uh, it was often made of board or pounded out metal. It was covered oftentimes with leather. With leather, the leather was uh, saturated with uh, uh, in oil or even water. It was very heavy, but they used it especially because when they came close to the fort or came close to where the enemies would be, where they had been shooting there arrows, oftentimes fiery arrows, and that's why the Bible here talks about quenching the fiery darts of the devil. These arrows would come and they would put it above their head. Another interesting thing about these shields were they were used as a wall. And so when they would come up to fight the enemy, they would line up all kinds of people and they would have this wall there. And that's what happens when we work together. We actually can fight the enemy a whole lot better. They would have put it above their heads, they would put it in front of them. But whatever the case is, they would make sure that they uh, they covered everything in their life. They shielded everything in their life with this belief that God is God. That's God says, you need to undergird, you need to cover like with a big giant shield. Put a shield over you, put it in front of you. The thing that shields you from everything is a basic faith in God. Just rest in the Lord. Just rest that everything's going to work out. Just have faith in God. You know, that's a great thing that happens in serving the Lord. When you just wake up one day and say, you know, I can do this, it's that believing attitude. That believing attitude is a thing that just helps us so greatly. When the great missionary John Payton was translating scripture, We had the privilege of being in the New Hebrides, which is now called Vanuatu. John Payton was a missionary there in the 1800s, and he translated the Scriptures into the New Testament, or the New Testament into their language. They didn't have a written language, and so it's very hard to be able to give them a language when they didn't have certain words that would match biblical concepts. One of the things that he had to struggle with was the word believe. He had, there was no word in their language which could describe the word believe or faith. One day, one of the uh, Pacific Islanders uh, walked into the hut where John Payton was. He sat down on the chair, and he said the words in their language. He said, oh, it feels good to take the weight off of my feet. And missionary Payton said, that's it that's the word for faith, is just resting in the truth of God's word. He said it. I believe it. That settles it. It is resting in the, in the Lord. And that's exactly what did. He used that word, translated it into their language, and used that belief of resting in the Lord to convert thousands to Christ. It is resting in the Lord. It's going to be all right, The shield for me is just this undergirding faith. Everything is going to work out. I believe God. And then the helmet of salvation. Being saved is one thing. Knowing I'm saved is quite another. No one ever lived a vibrant Christian life without knowing they're saved. Knowing it. That's the helmet I put on. God's already talked about making sure we have the breastplate of righteousness. I've got to be right with God. I've got to be saved. I've got to have the peace of God. But then knowing it is a whole other thing. Do we have the full assurance? If we don't have the full assurance, we are no match for Satan. And when we lose hope, all hope is lost. Now, notice this morning, not only our suspense And Not only our defense, but now finally, and this is really the heart of the message, is our offense. Growing up, uh, being in church, I would hear about the weapon that we have, the sword of the Spirit, and it's a tremendous weapon. But as you'll see in a few moments, I believe there is an additional weapon. Now, God wants us to be on the offensive, and I think most of us qualify for being offensive for sure. But God wants us to be a soldier. You'll notice in this list, there's never anything for the back of a Christian. He is, we are supposed to be storming Satan. We're not supposed to be hiding behind a rock someplace like Gideon. We're supposed to be out there in the the battle. And so God said, you need a shield. if You're going to storm the gates. That's what the Bible said about the church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church is attacking hell. And every time we win somebody, we're pulling them right out of that gates of hell. We're pulling them out. And that's what the Bible says here, that we are to go forward and we must attack. It's been said often that the best defense is a good offense and absolutely true. First of all, we see the sword of the Spirit. Verse 17, the sword of the Spirit. Now, again, I think a little study in the words of swords are interesting. There are two words used in the New Testament for swords. Now, the first term is that of a broadsword. A broadsword was often a sword that they would use with two hands. It had uh, edges on both sides and it was very long. It was oftentimes used and most used to simply come down on the skull of an opponent. They could do it uh, from a horse they could. Do it from a chariot, they could do it in a fighting, but it was a, if they could get it positioned in such a way, it was a devastating one time blow, but it was big. It was the big old sword. And in my thinking, that's preaching right there. It is taking the word of God and it is just slamming it. It is just, both hands just whack, whack, just pow, they're gone. Then God gives a second term for sword, and that's the word used here. It's actually a word for a dagger or a longer dagger, maybe even up to 12 or 18 inches. And so this was the sword that they used with their small shield, and they would then go after somebody. This is what you do when you're trying to cut someone's gizzard out. When you're going after a vital spot, this is when you're slicing and dicing. And it's interesting what it says here. It says, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God the sword of the Spirit. Now, if you were uh, in a charismatic church, they might tell you how to pray in the Spirit. And they would uh, remind us that we should somehow speak in tongues or something. That's not what this is meaning here at all. It is meaning praying with the mind and the will of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we know what is in the mind of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God? When I uh, put my he the Holy Spirit wrote Scripture. So when I know what the Holy Spirit said, as find in Scripture, as found in Scripture, then I am able to pray in the Spirit. It means praying with a verse, praying in the will of God. That's, the Bible says often, if you pray in the will of God, you'll have what you ask of God. And it says here, which is the Word of God. Now, there are two words for word in the New Testament, logos and rhema. This is not the word logos, which is The whole of Scripture, all of Scripture, the Logos. John chapter 1 talks about that, meaning that all that God gave us is found, uh, exampled in Jesus Christ. He is the Word of God, He He is the full speaking of God. He is the fullness of the Godhead, and that's the word Logos. But the word here is the Greek word Rhema. God said, when you're fighting the devil, you need to get yourself a sharp little dagger. And you need to slice him and dice him with a rhema. That means a specific word. A specific word. Those are verses. Those are verses that we use to pull down strongholds. And what God uses in my life today may change tomorrow. I need a new rhema tomorrow. I need fresh bread so that I can slice and dice the devil. Devil, I need a special fresh dagger to be able to stab the devil. Because sometimes we get, uh, our mind gets, uh, those old verses get, you know, just kind of out of our minds. The day that I first got saved, you know, there were a few verses that really were so exciting. But as I mature, those verses, not that they lose their power, it's just that I'm, I need a new verse. I need a, a new dagger to use against the devil because he's coming at me with something new. I heard something on the radio, someone said something, maybe I read something, or something, but there's some little doubt. A stronghold. I was thinking about uh, folks, uh, uh, some people recently, and I was just thinking, they are so bound by these strongholds. You say, what is a stronghold? Well, it's just like the word says, it has a stronghold on me. And they wouldn't even know it. I mean, they just kind of flopping through life, you know, just kind of be bopping along like, you know, they're doing whatever, and you think, oh my goodness, so blind. Now, what would happen if that person ever decided to just start tearing down those strongholds, bringing every thought into the captivity of Christ? A thought's rolling around up there, you know, and uh, wait, wait a second here. I get my knife out, and I start poking that thought and say, um, I, I'm sorry, that's not in obedience to the Word of God. Out of here poke it out. Get it out of my mind. Chase it out. Pulling down strongholds. And that's what we need to do. Get a rhema. Now some folks I've seen, they have these pretty knives and they keep them in Beautiful cases. Other people just spend their time sharpening their knives and other people just look at their knives. Folks, the knives are used for are to be used, not just shined up. And some folks, boy, I mean, they're just thinking about the Bible all the time. Folks, use the Bible. We need to use it against the devil and we need to pray it back to God. You say, What should I do? What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about memorizing the scripture. Get some Cards and three by five cards, or get some memory packs, or get your iPhone and uh, use the Bible in daily conversation. Even use it with the lost people. I've been amazed how many times lost people will appreciate the Bible, even though they're lost. They appreciate the strength of God's Word. Sing it to yourself, write it to yourself, put it in a poem, put it on the wall. But whatever we do, we always have a rhema from God. What's your rhema today? What's my rhema? Never go to bed without, never go to sleep without a rhema. Never wake up and start your day without a rhema. Folks, how would you like to meet the devil? And the devil's coming after you. And uh, all we do is hiding back in the corner. Oh, please don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. God said, come on. Get over there and attack that sucker. Go right after him. Get yourself a sharp sword and stick him in the gizzard with him. Run him out of here. Folks, we're to go after the devil. We're not supposed to be cowering, letting the devil come after us. Attack that sucker. Just go after him and cut him in pieces and go after him. Folks, we need to have this sword of the spirit. Now, all my life as a Christian, I heard about the armor of God. I heard about the the only offensive weapon we had was the Word of God. And then one day, someone mentioned this scripture in this light, and it was like an entire new world opened up. I said, wow, that's incredible. There is a second weapon God gave us. There is the sword of the Spirit, but there is a second weapon, and that is prayer in the Spirit. The warfare is prayer. That is where the warfare is. And prayer is a warfare that Satan cannot stand against. Praying in the Spirit. Now look at verse 18, please. Praying. That's in the durative sense. Praying. It didn't say pray and go on with your day. You know, it said praying, singing praying, praying, asking, begging, pleading, praying, always with all prayer, all types of prayer. Put the word types there if you're writing something. Praying all the time with all types of prayer. And He gives a suggestion, supplication with His begging in the Spirit. Make sure that you're in accordance with the Word of God. Watching, with all perseverance. Don't stop. All perseverance. Never stop. Just keep praying and supplication for all saints. We need to pray for all saints. And then he specifically says, folks, pray for me. That utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. What does that mean? I believe it means at least several things. Number one, I believe it means that we ought to yield our members as weapons for God. Romans 6, 13, neither yield your members as instruments as unrighteousness, but as instruments of righteousness. Yield your little members. My mouth is a member. My hands are members. My feet are members. My eyes are members. My ears are members. Yield your mouth to God. Speak faith. Speak faith. Don't speak negative. Speak faith. Speak gentle. Speak loving. Speak faith. Use it as a weapon. Don't tear the world down with your mouth one plank at a time, folks, like a sharp sword just ripping people. Folks, we ought to speak faith to people. Use it as a weapon. Number two, turn your drives into power. James 5:17, Elias or Elijah was a man subject to like passions. People say, oh, I don't know about that pastor. He sure seems like he's a real fleshly man. Well, that's a, there's a good point for that. Elijah was a passionate man. Passionate people do passionate things. And he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain. What did he do? He used his passion for God. Folks, if we'd put the same passion into serving God as some of you ladies did for shopping... If you put the same passion into serving God as some of us guys did for golfing, if we put the same passion into God, I mean to tell you, the kingdom of Satan just comes crumbling down. We ought to be serious about our faith. Now on a more serious note, when the vices that are so terrible begin to come like a dark cloud, maybe that just insatiable lust, maybe that Anger, maybe that fear, maybe that feeling of just being so shamed. That stinking man! Right now, I just want to cuss the devil out. Those things that just start coming into our spirit, those passions. The Bible said at that very moment, use your members as a to, to drive that out of there. Just get them out of there. Get out of here. Use the same passion you used for that desire. Turn it around and use it for God. How do you do that? You take the offensive when tempted. You take the offensive when tempted. Romans 12, 21, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the Greek word Nike. Nike, that evil. Victory. Overcome it. You'd say, how do you do that? You use scripture truths. You go the extra mile. (laughs) When your enemy compels you to go a mile, don't get maddened beat the fire out of them, says, go the second mile, okay? In fact, let me do even more. When you're mistreated, go the second mile. Take a preemptive strike at the devil. Reset the agenda. Hey, the more you tempt me, the more I read my Bible. Go ahead, tempt me. Because the more you tempt me, I'm going to reset the agenda. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start reading my Bible. That's overcoming evil with good. I like what the old Nazarene evangelist once said, he said, he saw his life as a war. He said, all my life has been a fight and I've been fighting the devil all my life. And he said, I continue to fight him. I'm going to bite him. And when I can't fight and when I can't bite him anymore, I'm going to gum him till I die. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. You just say, you know what? It is a lifelong battle and we're just going to keep on going. And then finally, we need to assign temptations to prayer targets. This actually is one of the most powerful weapons you'll ever use. It is little thought of and often not said, but it is one of the most amazing, incredible tools in our pouch. Assign a temptation to a prayer target. Connect it. If you want to use the term, put a prayer hook on that temptation. Here's how it works. We all have a besetting sin. It might be stealing something from a store. It might be greed. It might be bitterness. It might be fear, whatever. But all of us have besetting sins. So here's what you do. You assign a prayer target to it. And as we'll see in a little bit, you can pray for unbelievers. First Timothy chapter two says, pray for all men. You'd say, well, what should we pray for about this Senate bill? What should we pray for for our assemblyman, assembly person, assembly thing? Um, here's what we should pray for. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, pray that all men would be saved and that they would come to a knowledge of the truth. Now I can pray for that. Oh God, bring them to a knowledge of the truth. What does it do? I don't know what it does, but God says, open your mouth boldly, verse 19. We can also pray for spiritual leaders. So here's how it works. Okay. Let's say that I've got a real temptation with bitterness. So here's what I'm going to I'm going to put a hook on that bitterness. The minute bitterness enters my soul, I'm going to start praying for some pastor. That's what Paul said. He said, use all prayer. He said, when you're tempted, when you're tempted, here's what you do, pray for me. He said, every time you're tempted, pray for me. Now, in some of those cases, he's probably going to get a lot of prayer from those people. In some cases, maybe not so much, but he said, pray for me. He wasn't ashamed to ask for it. Verse 19. I know each pastor, I know each each person that serves God will tell you, pray for me. People say, what should I pray for? I say, pray for my marriage. Oh, you having trouble? No, I just want to be my marriage prayed for. Pray for my health. Oh, you having trouble? No, I just want my prayer to be, I want to be prayed for. You say, you having spiritual problems? Well, I just need prayer. Prayer for boldness. And so I'm going to attach with a, with a, I'm going to attach that to something. You'd say, well, how do you pray for people? Here's how Jesus prayed for people. The greatest example of how to pray for people is John chapter 17. Jesus prayed. First of all, he prayed for protection. John 17 verse 9, I pray for them. I pray for them, just praying for protection. Second of all, he prayed that God would keep them from evil. Verse 15, I pray that thou shouldest keep them from evil. Verse 20, neither I he said I pray for them which shall believe on me. I pray for their salvation. And we all need to pray for the salvation, we need to pray for the the genuine conversion of our children and the genuine conversion of our grandchildren. Not a church conversion, not just slipping into things as as they be, but that they would be genuinely converted oh God, I pray that you would save them. And you'll know whether they get saved because they have a hatred for sin, a love for church, and a love for their Bible. And number four, Jesus prayed that they might have a vibrant faith. Father, I will that they may behold my glory. Let them behold the glory of God. Make God real to them. Oh God, give them just spread your glory into their life. We can overcome the devil. We can win. We are able, he said, I am able to withstand, but you've got to make sure you, you get up there, you get your belt of truth. I make sure I get my, the truth. I believe God's word. It's settled in my spirit. I gird everything with God's word. I have a personal holiness, a breastplate of righteousness I take the gospel shoes. I've been saved. I have not only peace with God, I have the peace of God. I need to make sure that I have the helmet of salvation on. I know I'm saved. I have the assurance of my salvation. And then I am using the sword of the Spirit. I believe the Bible, who the Holy Spirit wrote, and I am going to use it. I'm going to use it like with a rhema. I'm going to get a rhema every day. I'm going to get a rhema from God. I'm going to read the Bible until I got a promise then when I got a promise, I'm going to walk into that day. and I'm going to share it. I'm going to share it with my friends. I'm going to share it with people who don't know the Lord. I'm just going to use the Bible. I'm going to sing it to myself. Resist Satan, resist Satan, he will flee. Sing it to myself under my breath. I'm going to put it someplace where I can see it. It's going to pop up on my phone five times a day. I'm going to share it with somebody. What am I going to do? I'm going to use a rhema. I'm going to bathe myself in the things of God. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to use all prayer. All prayer. Not just prayer, all prayer. Every kind of prayer I can. I'm going to use intercessory prayer. I'm going to use begging prayer. I'm going to use crying out to God prayer. I'm going to use praise prayer. I'm going to use all prayer. What am I going to pray for? I'm going to pray that all men will be saved and that they would come to a knowledge of the truth. And I'm going to pray for a Christian leader assign that temptation, put a prayer hook on that temptation. All right, devil, tell you what, you tempt me with bitterness. You tempt me with fear. You tempt me with immorality. You tempt me with greed. And I promise you, here's what I'm going to do. You could even have a different prayer hook for different things. Go ahead. Because every time you tempt me, I'm going to pray. And so the devil, just by the way this whole thing works, he says, you know what? It's useless to mess with this guy. He's got the Bible in his brain. He just, he's he's, brainwa- he's Bible-washed. <laughs> he's brainwashed, Bible-washed. One of the things that one of these Democratic senators said about this new bill, they said that the church needs to, to catch up with the times. That's why we've got this bill, because we've got to make sure the church doesn't offend all these homosexuals. We gotta make sure. No, look, I wanna I want a Bible. you you say you brainwash your children. Amen. You better believe it. I brainwash them with the Bible. They've been bible washed. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna bible wash myself. And then I'm gonna use that as a tempt as a as a weapon against Satan. I'm put a prayer target and get a promise for every day. Several years ago, a pastor decided to do a very dramatic illustration to his church about how to win against temptation. I read the story about it. I was intrigued. Thought maybe be a great thing to do someday. The pastor decided to illustrate to his people in an unforgettable and very visual way how that temptation is such a trap, but how that God leads us Remember what Jesus said? He said, when you pray, pray this way. Pray, oh God, lead me not into temptation or lead me through the temptation. So the pastor got up on the stage. He had people bring in traps, all kinds of traps, animal traps. He brought in small little sticky pads. He brought in little, um, little nooses. He brought in uh, other cage things. He even brought in a bear trap in actually brought in a giant animal trap, like a safari trap. He put them all over the stage and then he called a young man from the audience up. He brought the young man up to the stage, put him at the side over there and said, now you're going to walk through these traps. I mean, those were some scary looking things. And then he blindfolded him. He said, now you're going to walk through this trap. But he said, The good news is you got your father. He called the young man's father up. And the father was on the other side. And the father stood there and called to his son and said, Son, come. The son took a step. The father said, Wait, son, it's still too dangerous. I'll come to you. And so the father. Weaved his way through all those traps, grabbed his teenage son and walked him, walked him through each of those traps, walked him through safely to the other side. And that's what God does with us. He is walking us through every trap and he will give us the victory. We don't have to fall. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning.